there was a lot of capital in real estate before the pandemic or COVID hit. And then we put that capital on the sideline as transaction activity kind of ground to a halt. So there was kind of this pent up demand with all that capital. Welcome to Buzz House, a Baker Tilly podcast where you can find all the buzz around multifamily housing. I'm Don Bernard, the partner in charge of Baker Tilly's multifamily housing practice. And I'm Garrett Gibson, a partner at Baker Tilly, also specializing in consulting on multifamily housing transactions across the country. Each week, we'll bring you a guest or a topic in the multifamily housing industry that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. Today, our guest in the Buzz House is a colleague of ours at Baker Tilly, Brent Mayer, who is a managing director in the Transaction Advisory Group. We'll be talking with Brent today about some observations he and his team have around the multifamily housing industry and in their quarterly commercial real estate market report. Before having a discussion with Brent, uh, Garrick and I wanna give you a few updates from around the industry. There has been a lot to sort through, just a lot to sort through, kind of exciting on the housing front over the last few weeks with a lot of positives around the affordable space. We're gonna get into this, I think, in a whole separate podcast, a lot of the details, but as many of you in the industry know, a bipartisan group of legislators introduced the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2021. Of course, there have been a couple other versions of that over the last couple of years. This was introduced in both the House and the Senate. The act, again, as I mentioned, it was similar to what's been introduced in prior uh, legislative sessions, but a really big new provision that we've kind of alluded to in the past is lowering the bond financing threshold from 50%, having your, your project financed 50% by uh, tax and bonds down to 25%. And we're gonna have a note on that in just a minute. Your overall infrastructure legislation, of course, is being worked on. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi suggested a goal of July 4th to vote on a bill. On a related note, the Department of Treasury released a report outlining major proposals that would generate revenues to offset the infrastructure plan, being referred to as the American Jobs Plan. Among other provisions, this plan looks to increase the corporate income tax rate from 21% to 28%. As you may recall, the corporate tax rate had been reduced under the Trump administration from 35% down to the current 21%. Garrett, just a quick note on that. You and I were just discussing the tax rate as it kind of maybe comes into play with people exiting their, their tax credit deals. You just want to make a quick comment on that? Yeah. So, you know, I work a lot with folks on their exits and a lot of the provisions are the greater of either the fair market value or, or, or the debt and exit taxes. And so some of them are approaching investors to try to buy them out early and they're being amenable to it. But what they're doing is saying, hey, we want to get paid a discounted cash flow on the after-tax benefits of those tax losses. So the important thing is if there's if you're buying them out early and there's two years, let's say three years that until the year 15, well, right now the corporate tax rate is 21%. So if we're projecting out what those losses are going to be and discounting that after-tax cash flow to them to determine what this exit tax exit price would be now, we're doing it at that current corporate tax rate versus if the tax rates go up and you wait, you know, and they're able, you're able to get them out early. Well, it could be a situation where your exit tax penalty is going to be a lot higher. So it's just something to think about when, when, when you're looking at investor exits when you have an exit tax provision in there. Thanks a lot for that, Garrick. Just referring to what I just noted about a provision in the uh, Affordable Housing Improvement Act from dropping the 50% test down to 25%, the trade organization NCSHA just released a report they sponsored that notes if this does occur, they estimate by freeing up this tax and bond authority, there could be an additional almost 1.5 million 
affordable units created over the next 10 years. There've only been, you know, 3 million units, a little over 3 million since 1986. So by generating another one and a half million over the next 10 years, just from this change, obviously very significant in the industry. So a lot of eyes are going to be on that and we'll keep you in the loop. On the public housing side, exciting news. Many people were waiting for this news to come out. How to release guidance around fair cloth units, which of course are the units that public housing authorities have the authority for, but have been taken offline over time. So it's kind of sitting on the shelf, if you will. The guidance allows for these new units to be developed using a mixed finance structure, finance structure, and then convert to a Section 8 contract or through the RAD process after construction completion. HUD streamlined this mixed finance, the RAD conversion process with this guidance. There are about 220,000 units of housing on the sideline, which has the potential to be brought back into housing stock. So again, very exciting as a potential for 200,000 new units as the subsidy is, is already authorized. Uh, just one last uh, bit of news, again, in the positive for the uh, affordable housing scene, the Biden administration sent their fiscal year 2022 discretionary funding request to Congress, and the HUD budget requests $68.7 billion, or a $9 billion or 15% increase from 2021 enacted levels. There's many, you know, many areas of uh, increases, including home, CDBG. Another key line item is for the housing choice vouchers with an increase of $4.6 billion, so very significant, which the administration maintains will allow an initial 200,000 more families to receive vouchers with a focus on those who are homeless or fleeing domestic violence. So just a lot of a lot of news, like we mentioned, we'll talk, I think, in a whole separate podcast about this Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2021. With that, uh, Garrick and I are very excited to jump into a discussion with our colleague, Brent. Garrick? Yeah, thanks, Don. And I look forward to a future podcast where we really sort of dive into some of all the things that we just mentioned. But for now, uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce Brent. Brent, why don't you go ahead and start out by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what kind of services you deliver to your clients? Sure, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Garrick and Don. Excited to be here. So our team works with owners and users of real estate to help them realize their goals, by providing market intelligence, underwriting, diligence, and analytics. Our team's roots stem from an investment banking background, having been exposed to some very large real estate transactions, which has given us the foundation to provide meaningful advice from a single asset scenario to a large portfolio situation. We've licensed appraisers, so have the ability to write appraisals and the skills to analyze portfolios and real estate entities. Thanks, Brent, for that introduction, telling us a little bit about yourself. So diving right in, what about looking at the multifamily market as a whole right now? So how much better has the industry fared compared to other commercial classes? Well, it's done much better than most, most of the food groups. And the only exception would be industrial. The government assistance has helped tenants stay uh, mostly current with their tenants while also preventing evictions. Most institutional properties were shielded from the effects of COVID because those tenants tend to be more professionals, um, while other smaller, older properties tend to be more filled with those um, kind of on the front line or service areas. These older and smaller properties will continue to face challenges as the government assistance programs run dry. Given the tenant mix, we also see a potential for a cliff effect if these rent moratoriums are lifted in either at once or a compressed time frame. So want to be mindful of that if all these tenants with rents past due are either evicted or some type of program needs to be worked out, there could be a situation there. 
Our first quarter market update reports that apartment lists notes that we started the year with about 28% of renters owing some amount of back rent. I mean, 42% of those owed more than $1,000. So some big numbers thrown around there. A February CNN article estimates that the past due rents could be in the range of $30 billion to $70 billion. So it's, it's a wide, wide range and a lot of money at stake. Brent, that is a lot of information that you're right. I mean, is it going to be this cliff? What, what's going to happen? So we're definitely keeping our eyes on that. I think also in your, you know, in some of your quarterly reports, you hit on some sales and things like that. Just, you know, anecdotally, we've seen multifamily trading, you know, even in markets. You know, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, Garrickstown in Texas. I think you were in Chicago, Brent. But even here in the Midwest, we're seeing like sub five caps, which, you know, we just saw a multifamily in Madison trade at like 475. Is that consistent, Brent, with what you're seeing, or are there, are there submarkets? And what are you, you know, even seeing, you know, coming into the second quarter of 2021 on on cap rates? Yeah, that is consistent with what we're seeing, and I think this is a function of several factors. And we'll get in, into the impact of inflation, but until inflation comes more of a prominent issue, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna continue to see these compressed cap rates. The first kind of impact is really there was a lot of capital in real estate before the pandemic or COVID hit. And then we put that capital on the sideline as transaction activity kind of ground to a halt. So there was kind of this pent up demand with all that capital. Another impact is there's been additional capital poured into real estate. And this is really out of inflation fears. So it's getting poured into hard assets like real estate and cryptocurrency. And so we've seen an increase in dry powder. So you kind of see values are kind of rising with the tide and the amount of capital coming into the sector. And then kind of lastly, the cost of debt is extremely affordable right now. So, you know, kind of further compounding or or, uh, compressing cap rates. Thanks, Brent. You know, Don and I, we're, we're always reading a lot of reports and we've read some economic reports about consumers being more upbeat, if you will, and the pent-up consumer demand along with the stimulus dollars from government being spent. And uh, an addition along with this inflation expectations that you mentioned, if we do see inflation, how do you think that's going to impact this multifamily industry? We could do a whole podcast on this topic alone, but it's, it's an interesting one for sure. On a macro level, if inflation does start to tick high enough, it will have a downward drag on the economy, which would provide you know headwinds on any occupancy or rent gains that you've you've been able to get in recent years, creating a deteriorating NOI margin, right? So your occupancy may be okay, but your rents are going to deteriorate, and your cost to pay your your property level expenses are going to increase. So we're going to see a deteriorating effect on the margins. Conversely, inflation will also help retain, I think, some occupancy as many tenants will continue to rent versus maybe entering their home ownership. I could see a situation where residents who traded up during the work from home period from the pandemic for additional space, maybe they trade back down to reduce their monthly rent to help with that inflationary effect. We could see a decline in in development activity too, given the increase in the cost of debt and likely the reduced demand. We're already seeing reports of um, an increase in the cost of materials, uh, which will be prohibitive, you know, with the increased cost of lumber and other key inputs to these developments. That's very good, Brent. And Brent, before the podcast, you mentioned you're going to be working on a white paper around kind of this inflation discussion. 
we can look, look yeah, at that uh, as soon as, yeah. Yep, our, our target is the summer when we generally get a little bit slower. So, yeah, I'm hoping by the end of the summer we can put that out. And also just wanted to mention our first quarter market update is now available. Perfect. We'll make sure to get out to our listeners as well. And with that, we want to thank uh, Brent for joining the Buzz House today. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Buzz House. To receive a notification when new episodes are available, please subscribe to Buzz House, a Bakatilly podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For additional resources around multifamily housing, check out bakertilly.com. And if you have a suggested topic, please send them to build at bakertilly.com. That's B-U-I-L-D at bakertilly.com.